We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. Acts chapter 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. This is the word of the Lord. You can take your seats. Well, let me welcome you once again. Uh, My name is Brent, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new, uh, you have come on a great day. Uh, What a great day. Not every Sunday is like this. Not every Sunday do we get a video like that. Um, But you've come on a great day because we we are celebrating what God has done. What God has done in this church uh, over the last five years. And uh, I said it in the video, but I'll say it again. I I still cannot believe what God has done. Um, One of the greatest joys for me uh, in getting to be a pastor of this church the last five years is watching uh, so many people in this church serve. So many people give of their time and their talents Uh, and to serve this church and to serve this city. And so what I want to do just as we begin this morning is I want to take just a moment to kind of acknowledge a couple different groups of people. Um, In the summer, some of you have heard me say this before, but in the summer of 2017, there were five people in this church, and they all had my last name. And I looked at my wife and I said, we need some more people, you know. And, uh, And by that fall... Fall of 2017, God had gathered together a group of about 30 people who were meeting in somebody's living room every week to pray about and dream about starting a new church in and for the city. Uh, It was our original launch team. If you were a part of that launch team, would you stand this morning? I don't know how many of our launch team people are here. Yeah. Wow. Um, many of them have moved away, but uh, we, would, we would not be here this morning without uh, the way that God used that group. Um, second, I want to ask uh, Maria and Rizika to stand. I think they're over here, actually. Come on in. Many of you have never seen them. And... <laughs> For the last five years, these two dear women have cared for our children every Sunday. Um, And we are so grateful for you, um, for the way that you've served our church and served our kids. And I want to ask if you've ever served in Res Kids or if you've ever served in Res Youth, would you you stand? Because I want to acknowledge you as well. 
All right. We got a couple more to get through, so we got we to make this quicker. Okay. Uh, if you've ever served as a volunteer on a Sunday morning in AV, in our worship band, as a greeter, you've helped set up communion or serve communion, you've read scripture on stage, you've taught a class, would you stand? Yeah, wow. Uh, if you have ever led or hosted a community group, would you stand? You guys can stay standing. If you've ever, if you've ever been in a community group here at Res Oak, would you stand? We're here to acknowledge everybody. All right. That's awesome. Okay. If you've ever... Uh, some of you are like, I've never stood and sat so much in church in my life. This is getting out of hand. Um, if you've ever served in one of our service events uh, in the city, would you stand? Wow. That's amazing. If you have ever fallen asleep in one of my sermons, would you please stand? Actually, you don't have to stand because I know exactly who you are. Keep Keep note of these things. Uh, what I want to do today, um, in all seriousness, is I want to just take a few moments to remind us why this church exists. That seems like a good thing to do on a five-year anniversary. And I was, why are we here? Why are we here in Oakland? And as I, as I kept thinking about that, I kept coming back to uh, the passage that we just read, because I think it answers that question honestly in one verse, and, and really just four words, actually. And it comes in verse 8. If you look again at the text, it says, So there was great joy in that city. Why does Res Oak exist? Why are we here as a community in this city? What is our purpose? We exist so that there might be joy in the city. Joy in Oakland, which is something that our city desperately needs more of right now. And, you know, it's an incredible thing. I just want you to think about this for just a moment. It's an incredible thing for this passage to say that Christians brought joy into the city. Some of you are here this morning. You're skeptical of the claims of Christianity. You do not identify as a follower of Jesus. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, you heard in the video, this is a church for you. Um, and joy is the last thing that you associate with religion in general and maybe Christianity in particular. But the interesting thing about the book of Acts, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, this passage that we just read from, the book of Acts is all about the growth of the church in the first century. It is all about the spread of Christianity in a time and in a place and in a culture that was deeply opposed to it, which is not so different from today. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but identifying as a follower of Jesus does not earn you cool points in this city. In fact, it can actually, actually work against you. And that was true actually in the first century as well. And yet here is what we know from history, historical fact. Christianity went from this basically not existing. It went from this small, marginalized, powerless, despised group of people to something that within a few hundred years swept throughout the Roman Empire like wildfire. 
and the church exploded and people all over the world came to embrace it and here we are today still talking about and worshiping Jesus. What happened? See, how do you explain that? Why did that happen? And I think the answer is joy. Christianity brought a joy to the city and to the world unlike any it had ever seen. And what I want to just do with us this morning is I want to talk about that joy. I want to ask the question of why was it so compelling to outsiders that people were flocking to it? Why did it have such an impact on the city and on the society around it? And what does that actually mean for our mission as a church in Oakland as we think about the impact we could have on our city? So let's consider this joy. Two points for you this morning. There is a joy for you, and there is a joy that is meant to flow through you. There's a joy for you, and there's a joy that is meant to flow through you. So first, joy for you. All right, this text in verse 4 It begins, if you look again at the passage, it says that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, whenever we hear that phrase, preached the word, uh, you know, you think of somebody doing what I'm doing, probably. You know, some sort of clergy. I I refer to us as professional religious people. You think of a professional religious person, you know, publicly proclaiming God's word. But that's actually not what is happening here. Because one, Philip was not that. Philip was not a professional religious person. Philip was not one of the 12 disciples. Philip was not an apostle. Philip was a regular person in the church that we learn about back in Acts chapter 6. But two, the Greek word here for preach is the word evangelion. And it is where we get the word gospel, which means good news. Literally what the text says is that Philip And the other Christians went around the city good-newsing people. And you see, what was the good news? Here's the question. What was the good news that they were telling people about? Well, look at the very next verse. Verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Other translations say they proclaimed the Christ there. That's talking about Jesus. The good news was Jesus. And you see, here we have the difference between Christianity and every other world religion. Some of you are here this morning and you say, wait a minute, aren't all religions the same? Aren't they at the end of the day basically the same thing? No, there's a world of difference between Christianity and everything else. And you know what the difference is? It's good news versus good advice. The founder of every other religion offers you good advice. Good advice about how to live, how to be a better person, the rules you need to follow, the things you need to obey, so that God will love and accept you. But Christianity and Jesus alone offers us good advice, not about what we must do, but what he has already done for us in his sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection that now makes us totally and wonderfully accepted and loved by God so that we are now free to obey him, not so that he will love us. It's not good good advice, but because he already does. And that is good news. Christianity is good news. And this is why, friends, the Christian gospel 
can bring a joy into your life unlike anything else. Uh, there is a very famous true story, actually, of a young boy named Tom. And uh, he, he, was partially, uh, he was partially deaf, actually. He had a handful of kind of learning disabilities. And one day he came home from school and he gave his mom a sheet of paper. And he said, Mom, the teacher gave me this sheet of paper. And she said that only you should read it. What does it say? And he handed her the paper and she looked at it and her eyes began to well up with tears. And then she read the letter out loud to him and she said, your son is a genius. This school is too small for him and doesn't have good enough teachers to train him. Please teach him yourself. And Tom never forgot those words. They began to shape the rest of his life. And when he grew up, he actually became a very successful Scientist. Now, here's the interesting twist of the story. Years later, after his mom died, he was going through a closet in her house, and he found the letter. And he opened it only to discover that it said nothing that she had told him that it said. Here are the actual words of the letter. Your son is mentally deficient. We cannot let him attend our school anymore. He is expelled. That day, after reading that letter, that young boy, who is now all grown up, went home, and he wrote these words in his diary. Thomas A. Edison was a mentally deficient child whose mother turned him into the genius of the century. Now, it's a powerful, it's, it's an incredible story about the power of words, and how the power of words had the power to actually change our life. How the words of his mom put his life on a totally different trajectory than the words of his teacher would have. And you see, friends, when you become a Christian, God speaks his words over your life. That no matter what anyone else says about you, no matter what your level of education says about you, no matter what your bank account says about you, no matter what your past says about you, no matter what your failures say about you, no matter what your job says about you, no matter what you say about you, the truest thing about you is what God says about you. And what does God say about you? He says you're precious to him. He says I've known you before the foundations of the world and I knit you together perfectly in your mother's womb. He says, I have created you in my image, which means that your life is not the product of random evolutionary accident, but your life actually has intention and purpose and meaning. He says, I've adopted you into my family as my loved son or daughter, and you belong. He says, I've put my spirit inside of you, and now there's not a single moment that I'm not with you. He says you're a citizen of heaven, friends, which means that no matter what life brings your way, no matter what circumstances come, your future and your eternity is secure. Who else, I just, for a moment, would you just think with me, who else can speak words like that over your life? Do you see the joy that is offered to you in the good news of Jesus Christ, do you see the hope? Do you see the love? Do you see the peace? Let me tell you, it can change your life 
If it's never changed your life, it can change it this morning. And what I have witnessed for the last five years as I have watched it is as it has been changing people's lives. I remember one homeless woman who came into our church years ago. We were at the Impact Hub just down the street. She walked through the door. She had all of her belongings in a little cart. She came one Sunday. She walked in off the street. She came back the next Sunday. She came every Sunday for months. And one day I sat down with her and we, we got to have coffee and she began to share her story with me. And it was a very, very hard story. Years, decades of battling addiction, of battling mental illness. She was estranged from her family, her whole family, and she was all alone in the world. And I, she said something to me that day I will never forget. She said, Pastor, on Sunday, you said in your sermon that God loves me. She said, no one has ever told me that. And for the first time in my life, I want to live. Oh, man. There was a joy. You know, this past Friday, I sat with a man in our, who's in our church. In a we sat in a hospital room for two hours. He's been there for seven months, battling cancer. And it has been so hard. And I will tell you that every time I have gone to visit him for the last seven months, he has said these words to me, I am overwhelmed at the love of God for me. And despite his suffering, despite his suffering, there is joy. And let me tell you, I could tell you lots and lots of stories like this, and it is not a testimony to how great our church is. It is a testimony to how great our God is and to the great joy and the great hope and the great love that he offers to us. Can you imagine the joy that would come to this city if more people in this city knew this God and how loved they are by him? You know, this is why we exist as a church. This is why we say all the time, we want to be a church not just for ourselves, but for the unconvinced. We want every Sunday to be a good Sunday to invite a friend who does not yet know this good news. We want to be a church where people can belong before they believe as they process the claims of Christianity and they wrestle with what does it actually mean to believe in Jesus. That is what we are striving to be. To be a church that is saying to people, there is a joy for you. And to be a church where people who have come to accept the person of Jesus are growing in that joy and in the good news of God's love for them for the rest of their days. There is a joy for you. Here's the second point. There is a joy that is meant to flow through you. It's meant to flow through you. Now look again at verse 4. It says that those who had been scattered, key word there, preached the word. Why had they been scattered? Well, if you turn all the way back to the beginning of chapter 8, here's what we see. They had been scattered because persecution had broken out against Christians. And so on the one hand, Philip and all the other Christians, they, they had to scatter from Jerusalem because the religious leaders were trying to kill them. But on the other hand, if you turn all the way back to Acts chapter 1, do you remember what Jesus says to his disciples? He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, they were scattered 
Because God was sending them out into the world. And this is, friends, this is what God always does with his people. This is what he always does. Whenever God blesses you, he always sends you back out to bless others. Whenever his joy comes into your life, it is meant to flow through your life into the lives of others. Your life gets caught up in the story of God and in his purposes in this world. And I will tell you, that is such good news this morning. Because every single person in this room, we long to live for a story that is bigger than our own. Uh, maybe you've been paying attention, but it's NBA playoff season. We're, Warriors are playing right now. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. We need to wrap this up so I can get home and watch the game. Um, I'm feeling a little nervous about today. But all right, anyways, some of you are too young to remember this, but like the Warriors used to be bad. Oh, yeah. Amen. Like, really, really bad. And then God smiled upon us. <laughs> and along came Steph and Dre. I'm seeing hands raise. You know, Clay, uh, Clay and Draymond and Steve Kerr. Now, when they, there's a really great story about when they first hired Steve Kerr. Uh, Steve Kerr went to Bob Myers. And Bob Myers was the general manager of the team at the time. He still is. And, uh, and Steve Kerr said to them, he said, listen, if we want to win a title here, things are going to have to change. The way we play on offense is going to have to be totally different. We're going to have to go from this kind of isolation game where just one person is always dribbling around, trying to score and trying to do it themselves, to an offense that is filled with passing and with movement. And Steve Kerr told Bob Myers, he says, listen, it's going to be, it's going to be hard, it's going to be dramatic, but this is, this is what he said. He said, there's a makeup in every player who has ever played that if you get to touch the ball and you get to be a part of the action, whether it's as an assist man, a ball mover, a shooter, a dribbler, that the more people who are involved in the offense, the more powerful it becomes. And Bob Myers looked at Steve Kerr, and this is what he said in response. He said, he said yeah, all of us want to be part of something. All of us want to be part of something. All of us want to be part of something that is bigger than just ourselves. Why is it that you can be wildly successful in life? You can be wildly accomplished. You can get everything you want. You can get the degree you want. You can get the job you want. You can get the money you want. You can get the spouse you want. You can get the kids you want. You can drive the cars and take the vacations that you want. You can get everything you want. And yet life still feels empty. Maybe that's where you are this morning. See, why is that? Why is it that you can get everything you want and yet there's still a sense of emptiness, of purposelessness? Life can even feel meaningless? Let me tell you, it is not because any of these things I've just listed are bad. It's not because they are bad. It's because they are not enough. You and me... We were made to live for a story bigger than ourselves. A story bigger than our LinkedIn profiles. A story bigger than our own comfort, our own security, our own pleasure, and our own retirement accounts. And this is a story that God invites you into. And it is a story that can bring joy into your life 
and then through your life into the lives of others and into the city. It can bring joy to the city. See, notice what happens in verse 7. It says, For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Now, don't get distracted by all the miracles, okay? That, that's another sermon for another day. Uh, what I want you to see this morning is simply this. They did not merely go out and seek to meet people's spiritual needs by proclaiming the good news of the gospel and casting out spirits. But they also went out and they sought to meet people's physical and material needs by healing those who were paralyzed and lame. It reminds me of something Jesus says in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and then listen to this, and they will do even greater things in me because I'm going to the Father. Think about that. How in the world could we do greater things than Jesus? If, if, if greater means doing things that are more sensational than Jesus, I'm not so sure that's what it means. Have you, have you walked on water? Have you fed 5,000? Have you raised the dead? No, if doing greater things means more sensational things, that makes no sense. But if doing greater things means more numerous things, more widespread things, then that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense because listen to what Jesus said. He said, you'll do even greater things in me. Listen to this. Because I'm going to the Father. When Jesus was on earth, when he had a body, when he was a human being, he could only be in one place at one time. But when he ascended to the Father and he sits at the right hand and he sends his spirit to live inside of us, well, now he can be in many places at once. And so when we, Christian, when we go out into the city and we seek to meet the physical and the material needs of the city, as Jesus has commanded us to do, when we go out and we care for the poor, and when we serve the homeless in our city, along with our dear brothers at City Team, and when we tutor children at MLK Elementary School in West Oakland, as people in our congregation are doing, and when we fight for justice and we advocate for the marginalized and the oppressed, and when we refuse to turn a blind eye to economic disparity, and when we engage in the systemic brokenness of our city, and when we befriend the lonely, and we care for the, the widow and the orphan, and when we are radically generous with our money and our time towards the needs of the city. When we do these things, we are doing things even greater than Jesus. Because we are his hands and his feet. We are his presence, not just in one place in the city at one time, but all over the city all the time. See, and just like there was joy in the city of Samaria, when Christians live like this, there will be joy in Oakland when you and I live like this. I want you to know, people in this city 
they will never care that we are here unless we are really doing this. They'll never care what we have to say. They'll never care what the message is, what the good news is, until we do these things. And that is why verse 6 says, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. It was only as they saw them meeting the physical and material needs of those around them in the city that they actually paid attention to their message. Do you know that when people hear us or see us sharing our faith, they think that we are just trying to recruit people and increase our own tribe. But when they see us loving and serving the city, then they get a glimpse of the glory of God's kingdom and the joy and the healing that it can actually bring to this place. And it'll change everything. Mother Teresa, there's a very famous story about Mother Teresa. Uh, when she first went to India, um, the local people hated her. They wanted nothing to do with her or the God that she was proclaiming. Uh, the Hindus actually came in an angry mob at one point and they tried to kill her. Uh, the turning point all came when uh, the lead priest of her little village got sick and he was terminally ill. And the local hospital refused to take him in because they, they said we need to save beds for people who have a chance at living. So they refused to take him in. And guess who took him in? Mother Teresa. And she, she and her co-workers cared for him all the way to his death. And that was the moment when everything changed. That is when they came to love her and they were glad that she was there. Now I just want to ask you this morning, can you imagine that if this were true of us as well? Can you imagine if there were people in this city who said, I don't believe what those people on the corner of 17th and Franklin believe, but I'm glad they're in this city. I have what I call a 25-year hope for our church. We're only five years in, and this is a big hope, and it's not something you accomplish in five years. It takes a long time. It may take 50, honestly. I don't know. But I think it's something that we ought to be aspiring to, and here it is. My hope is that in 25 years, we are so engaged in the needs of this city. We are so generous with our money and our time. We are so sacrificial in the way that we love and we serve this city that if we had to shut our doors one day, if we were no longer to exist, that there would be people in this city who would so miss us that they would say there is less joy in Oakland because that church isn't here. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being a part of a church where people said there is more joy in the city because of that community? Would you want to be a part of a church like that? I want to be a part of a church like that. And the question is, is how are we actually going to become those kinds of people and that kind of church? It's a big question. Because you know, it's really easy on a five-year anniversary, let me tell you, it's really easy. We start talking about loving the city and serving the city. It's really easy to feel inspired. But the reality is, is this will be incredibly hard to be this kind of church. It will not be easy. It will not be convenient. And it will require all sorts of sacrifice. 
I mean, to serve like this, to give of ourselves like this, to love like this, to sacrifice like this, it will cost you, it'll cost you emotionally, it will cost you financially, it, it may cost you safety. And you see, if all you get this morning is a little inspiration, I'm just, it's not going to last long. The truth is, we need much more than to be inspired. And we actually need this table. We need this table. What do we see at this table? We see a God who says, I've not come to be served, but I've come to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. We see a God who says, before you ever sacrifice anything for me, I have sacrificed everything for you. Friends, here's the Christian gospel. Jesus Christ left the riches of heaven. He gave up everything he had and he came into this world in human form. And he lost it all. And he did it because of his great love for you and me. And because he wants to flood our lives with his joy and his meaning and his purpose. And you see, Jesus asked nothing of you that he has not already done for you. The more you see him serving you, the more you will move out to serve the city. The more you see him giving up everything for you, the more you will give up everything for him. The more you see what it cost him to love you, you will move out into the city to love the city no matter what it costs you. And it all starts right here. And if you have never come to this table, if you have never known the love of God, if you've never experienced the joy that is offered to you, Friends, it is on tap this morning. It is yours for the taking. And maybe that's why God has you here this morning. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup represents the new covenant which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins, drink of this in remembrance of me. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, what great love, what great hope, what great joy you have come to give us. Would you give us hearts to receive it this morning, that as we come to this table, and as we take this bread and as we drink this cup, may we see what it actually points us to, which is a God who gave up everything to have us, a God who gave up everything because of his great love for us. And would you help us to receive and to know that love and to know that joy this morning, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.